coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. Whether you're big or small, it, it's often really hard to be precise about what you do and what it means for your customers. And it's just difficult because you're not a customer and you've got lots of different customers and they all have different benefits. And so, I mean, that normally takes time, you know, and it's very rare that you ever get that done first time. And if you're, you know, if you're working with a, a large enterprise client, you know, they can spend days, weeks, months on this. Um, and they've got teams of people who can spend days, weeks, months. Smaller startups, it's much harder because you're much more resource strapped. But I think spending the time really getting clear about what the value is in working with you as a company, whether it's buying a product or a service or whatever, is, is really important. Mm -hmm. And then the next question is about who do you tell? And when we talk about marketing, we don't talk about um, tactics particularly. You know, We don't talk about PR and uh, email marketing. We talk about content generation and content delivery. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And basically, you've got to create something that's going to make people want to buy, and you've got to get it in front of the people who are going to buy. I mean, it's yeah. That all marketing has to do yeah. really and getting it in front of the people who want to buy i think is is different to me the secret is always 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 to focus down and it's much easier to go broader once you've got a campaign that's really narrow mm -hmm. than it is to narrow down once you've got a broad campaign so you know a lot of what people are talking about at the moment in terms of in marketing is around focus so one of the things you'll hear is account-based marketing mm -hmm. um, and for us in, in business to business it's it's almost how business to business marketing is being run now where what you're trying to do is you're you're really focusing on marketing on specific target companies welcome to the show i'm matt shields on past the secret sauce we unscramble the life stories skills and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life my goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Mike Maynard, who is the Managing Director of Napier. Napier is a B2B marketing company, and Mike and I have a lot of fun talking about the different nuances of marketing. Of course, he's been in this for a long, long time, and, and over the years, marketing has changed pretty substantially. The, the different channels and the processes and the paths have changed pretty substantially, but the overall concepts are pretty well the same. The methodologies, the communication, it's its pretty well the same as what it, uh, it always has been. And Mike and I get into breaking down some of the things that you should be looking for as far as success or even determining where to start if you're in a position where you're you think that you want to do some marketing how to identify those markets how to identify where you should be starting at we talk about all of that in today's episode of past the secret sauce and mike again offers a lot of great insights and frameworks that sort of allow you to to position your thinking so that you know what to expect and you can identify when you are on the right path. Because again, let's face it, a lot of marketing companies, they do their 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 marketing and you don't really get all that terribly many results or you don't get the results that you're looking for. So Mike and I, again, get involved in talking about what you should be looking for and what you should expect 
and how you should go about deploying that in your own business. So with that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. And the dinner table growing up is a, is a great question because it was kind of messy. Mm-hmm. So when I was a child, you know, us kids, we all did different sports. We're all going away, you know, uh, either me playing cricket or football or my sister dancing. And I have to be honest, my mum, bless her, was not the best cook in the world. <laughs> so it tended to be fairly ad hoc um, uh-huh. and very informal and usually not the entire family. So almost always one day, you know, one of us was out doing something, but that was good because we were out doing things. So yeah. a, a little bit different, but uh, certainly fun. Very cool. Very cool. And and were you exposed to entrepreneurialism or anything growing up as a young person or did that hit into later on? Uh, not really. So, um, I mean, I guess my first exposure to, to entrepreneurialism was um, really at university where I got involved in lighting and sound for rock bands. We had a group that did that and we had to make money from it. Of course, the only reason we had to make money is we wanted to buy new kit and yeah. buy all the cool toys. Sure. But exactly. um, so, so that was kind of my first real introduction to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, love it, love it. And and so, were you doing all of that sort of on your own? You know, doing all the the the, the setup or the production work or whatever it was. Were you did you start your own company that that did specifically that, or how did how did you kind of stumble into no, it no no not at all it was um so i actually did a bit of um amateur amateur, uh, amateur dramatics um before uh, very cool i came to university and decided that actually doing lighting and sound for bands was way cooler than doing lighting and sound for uh for plays yeah um and there was a group that did it um that was you know frankly organized by the students but really well organized quite a big team and they had i, I mean they averaged more than one event a night they were you know obviously a lot of discos at university mm-hmm. um, but also a lot of live music at the university i went to as well so it was it was such an amazing uh, opportunity to do different things and you know learn about something you, you'd normally never get involved in yeah that that is cool that is very cool so so what was your was your role like actually setting everything up were you managing you know any of the setups or what was what was kind of your your initial you know contribution into that into that you know that first i guess exploration of entrepreneurialism so it, it was all over the place i mean basically you know the students ran the the group that did it so you could pretty much do what you liked mm-hmm. and obviously you started off you were kind of learning how to you know initially carry the big heavy flight cases of all the equipment backwards and forwards which clearly you know everyone has to do but then you sort of started to get to learn about how to use a a mixing desk for live bands or how to set up lighting for a large disco or um, set up lighting for um, live music so i've got to do all that which was just an amazing opportunity yeah, that's that's cool. That's very cool. I've always I've always wondered, you know, all the the switches and the sliders and all of that stuff. Like, how the hell does anybody know what any of those things, you know, do and and that? So so uh, you know, interesting when you you know, I guess get to actually see how that all works and is all put together. What what happened next? What did you? What was your next step that you that you took after you well, after you graduated or you know what have you? Yeah. So so interestingly, once I graduated, I decided I. Um, I quite enjoyed that whole music scene. So I actually went off and uh, spent some time designing the mixing desks that I was using. Oh, wow. Um, so actually got to, I was an electronics engineer. That was my major at university. And so I actually went and designed the stuff, some of the kit I'd used, which was really cool. Yeah. 
Wow, that's that's impressive. And and did that did you did you commercialize any of that, or is that you know something that that was more you know sort of for your own your own use at that point? No, no, it was very much a job. So I, I was working as a, an electronics design engineer, working for a company um, that that did that. So it was it was very much working within an organization rather than being entrepreneurial. In fact, you know, I kind of flirted with a bit of, of you know, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, but never really was entrepreneurial and, and, until later in my career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and when what was it that you feel like was sort of that, you know, that that moment when you arrived or that 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 uh, you know that that inspiration that said, yeah, you know, I'm really I'm really going to do this. What what was it that you know sort of set you over that edge? Um, well, definitely the inspiration was wine. So the company I was working for sent me on a, um, a management development course. It was a you know weeks residential, you know, classic one. You have the last night, everybody's you know having a, a drink, winding down, having a chat, and a couple of people said, "Mike, you know, you should run your own company." And initially, I thought that's fantastic. I think I'd be great at running a company. And then I thought, yeah, actually, probably what they're saying is that I just really would never want to be your boss, Mike. Mm-hmm. So run a company, I'll never have to be your boss. That'd be great. But anyway, they sort of suggested this idea. And then a couple of months afterwards, the agency that um, I was working with, I was a marketing uh, manager at the time, the uh, founders wanted to retire. They're looking to sell the agency. And I thought, hey, it can't be that hard, can it? So um, I decided to buy an agency with literally not one day's experience working agency side. Wow. Wow. And and I mean, what was, what did you feel like you could do something better? Or was there something that you you know, that drew you to this? I mean, you obviously, you had to have seen some something there that liked you or, or inspired you. What was, what was that? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I think if you look at what's happened in terms of, of different industries, technology's had such an incredible impact on publishing and on marketing. So yeah. um, this was back in 2000. Well, I started in 2000, actually bought the agency in 2001. Okay. And, you know, I could see the world was changing and it was changing from a situation where basically you went out, you bought journalist meals, they wrote what you asked them to write. Pretty simple. Yeah. Into something where there was going to be a lot more technology. Journalists were going to have to see their entire business change from, you know, creating printed publications through to uh, creating, you know, sometimes entirely online um, publications. So I could see this massive transition happening. And and to me, that was really exciting as someone, you know, who used to be an engineer who loved technology. It just seemed like a great industry to be in. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. So, so when you were you, were you serving any specific industries or anything like that? Or did you go in and, and sort of niche yourself to any specific industry? or, Or were you basically, you know, serving pretty well anyone who you know who you could get in contact with so i mean the good thing was it was very focused around um at the time around electronic components that was basically the business of the agency so um, predominantly silicon chips um, Mm -hmm. and products like that that was obviously to a large extent my background which is why i was working with the agency because they were specialists and the two founders actually when they initially started the agency they were both working in that industry so it, it all came from that we're now broader as an agency but we're still a hundred percent business to business and a hundred percent technology products for business so we've still retained a focus albeit we've got bigger and therefore a little bit broader mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and when you're saying technology products for businesses are you are you building things for people or are you or, or for companies or are you building your own proprietary sort of internal systems and then reselling them to to your clients 
No, no. So we're, we're doing the marketing for our clients. So okay. um, we're basically working with clients and we have some, you know, some IP, but not, not really a, a major amount. It's really about helping clients market their products. So that's that to me is why you should work in an agency is because you can work on so many different products. Yeah. So, you know, in the morning I can uh, talk to somebody who's, um, uh, you know, selling silicon chips. At lunchtime, it might be communication systems. And then in the afternoon, it's, I don't know, baggage handling systems for airports. I mean, just yeah. amazing range of really exciting industries. Yeah. So, and, and that's interesting. So you're focused in on these, these very specific industries. And obviously, this isn't something like, you know, when, when I think, you know, marketing, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, an, an ad in a, an ad in a magazine or, or, you know, some kind of banner ad that's, you know, being published or anything like that. Do you still use those same types of uh, methodologies for these very, very, you know, specific things, like you said, like the, the airport, you know, airport baggage handling systems and all of that, like what, you know, is there any kind of research, I guess, I guess is the, the question that you go through that says, you know, these are, these are sort of our avenues that we can use to be able to, you know, promote your products and, you know, go from there. Or again, is it very much so, you know, we can try Google AdWords and, and test things as you go. What is your philosophy there? What is your, what is your approach? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question, Matt, because, uh, you know, w- when I first bought the agency, a lot of it was fundamentally based on opinion. People mm-hmm. thought this would work. They felt this magazine was influential. You know, today with digital marketing, we're moving to a situation where we've got far better ability to understand what works and what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So the answer is, you know, do we want run banner ads? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And there are places where we want to run black banner ads and there's goals we want to achieve where banner ads help. You know, do we want print ads? Yeah, actually, I think we still do, but really very few. Yeah. Um, and, and there are a few specific reasons why we run it, particularly, you know, maybe there's a country where, you know, predominantly the, the market is still print. And that's particularly in Eastern Europe where print is still quite strong or maybe Germany. But, you know, absolutely, we run those standard tactics, but we do them in a much more intelligent way. Um, so we're looking at what happens after someone clicks a banner ad. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, I, I mean, people talk about click-through rates and ads. That's a terrible metric. It really doesn't tell you very much. Yeah. But what happens on your website afterwards, whether they go and buy a product or not, that's a really good metric. So we're using a lot of data to actually understand what people are doing and what uh, our advertising and our marketing does to change their behavior in a way that means they're more likely to buy. Yeah, yeah. So, so really, you're you're focused in obviously on the the conversion ratios, and that's you know kind of the, you know the the part that matters, you know, rather than necessarily click through rates and all that other stuff. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because conversions is a it, it's a difficult word in marketing because typically it's associated with the sale, okay. and in some clients, absolutely, it's a case of you bring a client onto the website, you can get a sale because they've got some online um, e-commerce. And we absolutely measure that. But equally, we have clients who might have um, sales cycles of a year mm-hmm. or two years or even one client, you know, up to 20 years. Wow. Um, and so their conversions are not necessarily what you might think of as conversions. It could be engagement with particular content. It could be downloading something. It could be maybe filling in a form. But it's much less defined than, than maybe you'd think. There's lots of different things you have to think about. And so... 
I mean, this whole idea of, of, you know, building this concept of a customer journey where you think of your ideal customer and you think about what steps they're going to take. If they're just going to come onto Amazon and buy a product, it's pretty simple. Um, yeah. But if they're looking to, you know, develop something that uses a piece of technology that takes two years of design work to make use of, then that's really complicated. And that's where it gets super interesting for me is because you're looking at, I guess you could call them micro conversions, you know, little steps that say, mm -hmm. yes, we've moved that person forward in the journey. And it's not like a classic conversion. We've got a, a registration or we've sold something, but, but it's the same kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. And, and are you able to track and measure that on an individual basis? So, you know, that you know, John came to the website originally a year ago, and John's back at the website, you know, taking the next step. So he, you know, he's more, you know, he's more apt to, you know, be a client than, you know, maybe somebody who just came on and didn't really necessarily do anything. Are, are you able to you know, get that granular with it? So definitely a lot of the market automation technology that exists today, absolutely is, is doing that kind of thing. But it's, it's interesting because I talked about customer journeys and, and a lot of people in marketing will build this journey and they'll say, somebody will do this, they'll do this, they'll do this, they'll do this, and eventually they'll become a customer. Yeah. Um, and I can tell you, almost none of the people who become customers actually follow that journey. Okay. It's, it's a pretty good approximation, but it's never exact. So yes, we can track people. We've got you know information about what people are doing on the website, how they're engaging with email, you know, all this kind of stuff that people know is available in digital marketing but it's not as um, elegant and pretty as you might imagine. It's very messy. So delving through that data and getting the real story from behind the data mm -hmm. is actually one of the big challenges. It's not something that you press a button, you get a magic report and it says, yeah, 53 people went exactly through your uh, journey and they ended up customers. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what does that a deliverable look like is it you know a bunch of spreadsheets you know here's all your raw traffic these are the people that made it over here like is there is there any kind of rhyme or reason or you know what would be the i don't want to say the correct way to do it but you know the way that the way that is arranging the data so that at least it's understandable because i think that's i think that's maybe what the what the intention is is you know with the customer journey like here's a path that people can understand and you know then you you can you know track through that but you know, maybe there's somebody that takes a shortcut through that path, and they come in at you know the mm -hmm. step number three. You know, how is it that you're able to to you know measure all of that and and relay that in a way that people can digest and you know make decisions off of it? I guess you know, I know that's a really really big broad you know answer, but I'm just curious. You know, is there are there tools that you typically are using a bunch of spreadsheets that are compiled together that are you know delivering this, or you know what is that what is that I guess, mashing of information look like? And then what does that deliverable look like, you know, at the end? So that, that that's a brilliant question. And I mean, I could spend days answering this. There's all sorts of tools with all sorts of um, different approaches to say you've got this many people at this stage. Typically, it's kind of the funnel model that everyone's familiar with. Mm -hmm. You know, start off with awareness. You know, interest, desire, action is a, is a very simple one, you know, and, and you get more people at the awareness stage than you do at the action stage. You measure how many there are. You know, it's really simple. We have all these measurements. They're good, but actually they're never as good as someone just sitting down and explaining in simple, you know, words what they're trying to achieve with the campaign. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's always the most compelling thing. And if we can sit down a client with a client and the client can say, you know, what I'm trying to do is I think there's a number of people out there who, you know, for example, know that we're a vendor in this market, 
but they've got no idea that we do this and they've got no idea that because we do this it means this for them mm-hmm. and if they could only read this read this and do this then they would understand our benefits and so suddenly you have a really simple description in english of what you're trying to achieve and that then becomes very easy to measure mm-hmm. and i think there is a danger with marketing today that people get kind of seduced by the numbers you know you yeah. can have the, these spreadsheets and spreadsheets and spreadsheets of numbers um, and you can say, yeah, you know, my 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 click through rate's gone up 0.3 percent, and that's got to be good. And it's like, is it good? I don't know. It's um, yeah. you know, it, it could just be randomness. Let's be honest. So I think it's about you know really trying to understand what you're trying to achieve and putting that into you know simple language rather than trying to be pretentious and putting it into numbers and and um, you know metrics or you know e- even to some extent you know, trying to remove all those three-letter acronyms that, that everybody loves and just trying to say what you're trying to achieve. And then that then becomes easy to measure. Quite often it is a spreadsheet. You know, sometimes it's a graph. Sometimes it's, um, you know, just a number. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it often gets down to that. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. But usually if you understand what you're trying to measure and really understand it, then actually the measurement becomes less uh, complex and also the tools become much easier to navigate. Yeah. Do you have any advice on how a, we'll say a client or, you know, someone who is in a position to be your client, how do they answer the, the question of, you know, where do we start? Right. Maybe they don't, do they, do they always seem to have an inclination that, you know, Hey, we're missing market share here, or, you know, there's this new thing that we're coming out with that we're trying to promote. Is there, is there any, I guess, steps or, or things that they can to go through if, if, you know, they, they think that they have something, but they don't necessarily know whether or not there's something there to, to derive or to get at that, that story that you can use to then, you know, sort of craft this, this campaign? Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's an interesting question, because there's kind of two ways to answer that. I mean, one is, you know, talking about how they explain what they do. So I, I mean, as a marketing person, I guess it's all about messaging and positioning. Mm-hmm. And I think that is 
really hard for most companies. Mm-hmm. Whether you're big or small, it, it's often really hard to be precise about what you do and what it means for your customers. And it's just difficult because you're not a customer and you've got lots of different customers and they all have different benefits. And so, I mean, that normally takes time, you know, and it's very rare that you ever get that done first time. And if you're, you know, if you're working with a a large enterprise client, you know, they can spend days, weeks, months on this. um, And they've got teams of people who can spend days, weeks, months. Smaller startups, it's much harder because you're much more resource strapped. But I think spending the time really getting clear about, what the value is in working with you as a company, whether it's buying a product or a service or whatever is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And then the next question is about who do you tell? And when we talk about marketing, we don't talk about um, tactics, particularly, you know, we don't talk about PR and uh, email marketing. We talk about content generation and content delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And basically you've got to create something that's going to make people want to buy. And you've got to get it in front of the people who are going to buy. I mean, it's yeah. that all marketing has to do yeah. really. And getting it in front of the people who want to buy, I think, is is different. To me, the secret is always, always, always to focus down. And it's much easier to go broader once you've got a campaign that's really narrow Mm -hmm. than it is to narrow down once you've got a broad campaign. So, you know, a lot of what people are talking about at the moment in terms of in marketing is around focus. So one of the things you'll hear is account based marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, And for us in, in business to business, it's it's almost how business to business marketing is being run now, where what you're trying to do is you're you're really focusing your marketing on specific target companies. And again, if you're a small startup, that can be a small number. I mean, that can literally yeah. be a handful of companies. If you're a big enterprise, it could be a thousand or five thousand. Mm-hmm. But focusing down is really good for two reasons. One, it's really clear whether you're working or not, because you know whether you've converted the companies that you're trying to convert to customers or not. And then secondly, the great thing about focus is that it means that you can really target the message to your, you know, ideal customer so easily. And as I say, as a startup, there might be, it could be three companies, you know, it could be really focused down. But actually, the reality is, if you target those three companies, there's probably 30 or 300 or 3000 that actually will look at that messaging and look at the things you're saying and go, wow, that applies to me as well. Yeah, they're talking to me. Um, You know, so it's easier to get that messaging done. So you know, those two things linked together, what you say and how you say it, and then who you say it to. And, and the focus on who you say it to really helps the messaging as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, do you have any, I guess, guidance on, like you said, that there, there's normally a marketing person or some type of internal person who's helping with, you know, the marketing side of things. And, and you also mentioned that people have a tendency maybe to not necessarily focus as much any any insight into how you know whether or not you're focused enough or you know are you still looking at you know too broad of a of an audience because i i completely agree i think that you know most people would say you know i i'm in an industry that everybody can use that's going to be great i can talk to everybody and you know i'm 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 going to hit a chord with everyone um but like you said you know niching down into a, a smaller industry is easier to, to identify you know with specific people is there is there a case where you might go too far you know niche down too much and you know sort of pass by people as well so is there like a sweet spot to identify you know i'm i'm focused enough but broad enough you know is does that does that kind of resonate any any thoughts there that's i i, I mean that, that's a really tough question to answer i think i think the way i'll answer it is slightly differently 
the the times we believe we're too focused is when we can't spend the marketing budget. Mm. So if you've got a certain amount of budget, and let's say in a classic way to target specific companies on LinkedIn, using LinkedIn advertising, it's a Mm -hmm. really easy model. You just advertise to everyone with a certain job title in a certain list of companies. Um, So you might want to advertise, you know, if if we're promoting our services, we might want to advertise to marketing directors and CMOs in, you know, this list of 20 companies we want to reach. Yeah. If we've got a budget that we want to spend that's, I don't know, say $5,000 a month in terms of ad spend, and we're only spending $50 a month, we're probably too focused. Got it. But I think until you get to the point where you go, I literally don't know how to spend my marketing budget, you're probably too broad. Okay. That's a, that's a great, yeah, that's a great perspective is again, just sort of like the, you know, testing of the marketing assets, you know, you can kind of test what the market availability is too, as you, as you go. I mean, maybe, you know, you, you, you start spending, you know, you can kind of just keep testing that making sure that, you know, you're getting a payoff on, you know, whatever your, whatever your marketing spend is. And then assuming that you're doing well, then obviously you're going to invest in it. And if you can't afford to invest as much as you want, then you probably need to, or you can't afford to invest yet, can't afford to invest as much as you want, then you need to open it up some more, or or I'm sorry, niche down some more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I love that. Um, I think also that there is a danger that you just immediately go, well, we're going to do LinkedIn. We haven't spent all our budget. We're we're too narrow. I I think one of the things you've got to do as well is think of other tactics. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's loads of ways to reach your target audience. And so just going down one channel, Mm-hmm. is a bad idea if you're only doing one channel you're too broad probably in terms of your audience you need to to actually again niche down so that you've got multiple channels all trying to hit that audience yeah um, and that might be linkedin it might be email it might be sending stuff through the post there's all sorts of things you can do yeah and that's i, I was just going to ask that question because obviously we've got some you know we've got linkedin we've got instagram tiktok you know and, and some of those may not necessarily be as applicable for you know each one of the industries as other ones. How do you how do you go about saying you know this is our number one? This is sort of a secondary. You know, is is it again just a, a hunch and then testing to see you know what kind of response you get at each one of those other you know with those other avenues, or you know is there other you know another means to be able to identify you know this this is a a good. Uh, channel to be able to go down i mean great question there's there's loads of ways to answer that you know firstly i can just say well we've we've done this a lot we know and there's some truth in that then i could say actually we're really smart and we look at the data and we know the kind of people on linkedin and the ability to target stuff on linkedin means that you know linkedin is going to be amazing and tiktok which is much broader is going to be you know and younger and less business related is going to be much less effective and that might be true Let's be honest, sometimes you can run a campaign on a channel that you don't think is going to work and it works really well. And the reason you do it is the campaign matches the channel. So probably you've got someone who really cares about the channel. Someone who cares about TikTok might do a great TikTok campaign. And also you can stand out if you're unique in the channel. So I think it's, it's a balance between taking what I call the sort of considered view you know you, you look at the data you look at the experience you go yeah on balance if I'm doing business to business LinkedIn's cool mm-hmm. TikTok's bad but equally you never say no and so always doing little experiments is always worth doing you know people get great business to business results on um, Facebook for example particularly um, if you're targeting small businesses amazing results can be done on mm-hmm. Facebook and yet if you're trying to target enterprise sales it really doesn't work so I think it's 
it is it is hard to have generalizations you know you can definitely say on balance this is my guess but i'm going to allocate a little bit of budget and i'm just going to try something crazy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i'm going to set nine times out of ten that crazy thing isn't going to work but one time out of ten i'm going to look like a genius and yeah. that's all you need and and what would you say is a a good a good response rate or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish whether that be collecting an email making a purchase you know, what, what, how do I know that, hey, there's something here, I need to invest more money into this, as opposed to, you know, other things, say you don't have any type of baseline established, this is, you know, you sort of going out and establishing a baseline, you know, where is it that I know that I'm doing good? And, you know, where can I do better? Yeah, that, that I love Another? that question. I absolutely love that question, because everybody goes, oh, what do I need? Is it 1%, 2%, 5%, 10%? And, and my answer is, it's when you make money. So mm -hmm. I'll give you a couple of examples. So if we look at Napier, we're, we're a marketing agency. The reality is, is we can take on two clients a month, probably. Two new clients a month. That, that's about it. If we take on more, we're then perhaps not going to do quite such a good job of taking them on. Certainly can't do it on a consistent basis. So we're going to take on two, two clients a month. I have thousands of visitors to my website mm -hmm. every month. Actually, what's the conversion rate from that? Well, ultimately, the conversion rate can't be more than two. Yeah. Two from 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 you know a month from thousands of people. So trying to up that conversion rate makes no sense. And the same thing might be true of emails and things like that. What you need to do is work out what you're trying to achieve, what results you need to get, and then look at that rate. So it will depend. You know, we have clients who Literally, I mean, we've got one client who's got 6 million customers in their database. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, they send out an email, they'll get a lot of conversions on almost anything they send out. And, and they have, I can't remember, they offer 600 different suppliers and I don't know wow. how many, you know, hundreds of thousands of products. So they're going to sell pretty much every time they send an email. Mm -hmm. And their job is to make sure they match the frequency of emails to what people want to see. And so it's all about the engagement with the email, which will ultimately drive the best return. We have other clients. I mean, I mentioned, you know, clients who sell, you know, big systems, and whether it's baggage handling for airports or logistics or, you know, storage for supercomputers. I mean, storage for supercomputers is a great example. Basically, if you run a supercomputer, you have a cycle for upgrades. Mm -hmm. And that typically is around three to five years, depending on, you know, where you are. And so if I send you an email in the period where you're not upgrading, you're not going to buy. Yeah. The yeah. conversion is zero. And the conversion should be zero because they're not in the market. Yeah. I want to keep them engaged. I want to keep them interested. But a conversion rate makes no sense. And, yeah. and so I think it's about understanding what you're trying to achieve and then making sure you make money and making sure you make money in the long term rather than the short term. I mean, there's no point hammering your list, making a load of money for three months and then finding everyone has unsubscribed because they hate all your emails. Yeah. So, so there is no good answer. I mean, there are standard benchmarks. Lots of people argue about standard benchmarks, whether it be open rates or click rates or whatever. But I think the best thing to do is Google it, see the argument and, and find a number you feel happy with. Yeah. Um, if you really want that kind of percentage, but it's not the right way to do marketing. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and so do you do you work with pretty well any industry? And I can't remember, did you focus in more on like the the you know semiconductor type industry at at this point? Or again, are you are you a little bit more broad? Um so we're a little bit more broad than that, but we're pretty focused. So if we look at our primary industries, 
it would form into electronic components and semiconductors, industrial technology and industrial automation, and then communications and uh, information technology. And those would be our three core markets there. And, and if I was a customer, do I need to be any, do I need to bring anything to the table? Do I need, you know, should I be prepared with any type of numbers before we, you know, engage at all? Or, or you know, what, what types of things would I need to sort of have lined up to be able to, you know, use your services? The honest truth is you need a marketing problem. Because okay. if your marketing is going well, I mean, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, yeah. honestly, what you need is you need a marketing problem. Um, and the great thing for us is, you know, most businesses quite frequently hit a marketing problem, whether it's attracting new customers, retaining customers, going to new markets, um, launching new products, whatever it is. And so from our point of view, people coming to us with a challenge are the best clients. And that can be a startup that wants people to get to know them. It can be a established company that everybody knows that actually wants to give an impression of being more innovative rather than being seen as being, you know, perhaps a bit behind. It can be a company that is well known for one product, wants to get known for another. I mean, all of these things are, are great projects to work with agencies with. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's those sort of things that that drive clients to work with us. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And and Mike, if people wanted to reach out and get in touch with you, you know, learn more about your products, your services, what would be the best way to, to do that? Um, well, a couple of ways. The website is napierb2b.com. I mean, I said we're B2B only. We're absolutely committed in our domain name. You know, I'm, I'm the only Mike Maynard at Napier, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Or, you know, if anybody wants to, just email me direct. I mean, most people will probably work out my emails, mike at napierb2b.com. Mm-hmm. Um, send me an email. I'd love to talk to anyone who's listening. Love it. Love it, Mike. Thank you so much for the, for the insights into how marketing is working today, you know, for, for a lot of companies. And, and uh, it's always one of those things that, you know, is really interesting. I think you, you, again, answering the question that you did with how to start and how to know, you know, what is successful, you know, is, is sort of half the battle, I think, you know, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that. So, so thank you for, uh, for explaining that. And uh, I wish you nothing but success. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Matt. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.